0: Welcome to the one and only Circle City Cinema with your host and the one and only Zach Griffith. Hello and welcome into another edition of Circle City Cinema, the annual Oscars Picks pod underway tonight here on a fine TNT Thursday night. After this, I'm going to be tuning into the doubleheader tonight, as always, if you listen to Listen to Back Shoulder Fade with me and Caleb. You know all about it. Um, But right now, what's on the plate is my Oscars picks. Oscars, uh, a little under, well, about 10 days away. March 10th, uh, so a week from Sunday, the Oscars will be airing on ABC. hosted by Jimmy Kimmel for, I believe, a fourth or fifth time. And it's the year of Christopher Nolan. Let's just get that out of the way. Christopher Nolan. It's the year of him. It's the year of Killian Murphy. Kind of the year of Robert Downey Jr. Although you can call basically any year during the Marvel Cinematic Universe Infinity Saga run the year of Robert Downey Jr. But this year specifically, it seems like those three are in the driver's seat to win Oscars and the movie itself. He's in the driver's seat to win an Oscar. And even though this year doesn't seem as competitive as last year did, uh, even though it ended up not being so competitive, everything were all at once ended up, um,
1: you
0: know, basically cleaning house. Oppenheimer
1: feels like, and I, I could be totally wrong, but it feels like a, an unstoppable force right now. And
0: unless something unforeseen happens in the next week or so, Oppenheimer is going to rack up a ton of awards and it should, and I'm going to have it in a lot of my picks tonight. But as always on these pods, you know, I'm not going to go through every category. Uh, So best documentary feature, best documentary short, best sound, uh, you know, all that stuff. All due respect to those categories, and I do think those categories should be televised. I think it's a joke that they're not uh, sometimes. I'm not going to be going through those. You know, if you listen to this pod, if you listen to any movie pod, they're not talking about them either. And it sounds pretty harsh to say nobody cares about them, but I mean, nobody really is tuning. Nobody's, t- I'll put it this way nobody's tuning into the Oscars to see those categories the technical categories that i really look at best cinematography best production design i would say those are the two that i really look at and they'll be in my picks tonight but you know most people are tuning in for best picture best actor best actress you know they're not really tuning in for the technical categories which is understandable uh but like i said i still think they should be televised I think it's a joke. They're not televised. They should be recognized for the work they put in. Uh, And I'm glad that they will be this year. I believe they will be this year. And that's a good thing. But before we get into my picks, I wanted to talk about Dune Part 2. Okay, Dune Part 2 comes out tomorrow. So I'm recording this on a Thursday night. So technically tonight, Dune Part 2 comes out. With an official release date of March 1st. Which is tomorrow. And. The reviews of this movie. Are nothing short of. All time spectacular. And when you are being compared to movies like. The Empire Strikes Back. And. See the The Dark Knight. And ta- being talked about Terminator 2. And being talked about among. The best sequels ever. Uh, me and my good friend Brett Shatty were looking at a Letterboxd list <laughs> a couple days ago that had Dune Part Two as the second best sequel of all time, trailing only The Godfather Part Two, and that is high praise. And you know, you know, I always, whenever movies are talked about. Being compared to Empire Strikes Back or The Dark Knight. I mean, it doesn't happen that often, but whenever it does happen, you always, at least I do, I take it with a grain of salt because those are some of the greatest movies ever made.
1: Obviously, they're some of the best sequels ever made. They redefine their genres, right? And I always
0: take it with a grain of salt because you have to see it for yourself. You know, any movie you have to see for yourself, but specifically when movies are getting such high praise that they're being thrown into the same group as The Empire Strikes Back or The Dark Knight or The Godfather Part Two or Terminator 2 Judgment Day. Like, you have to be aliens. Like, you have to be careful with...
1: That's all. I, that's all I say to critics is just be careful. Be careful with movies you group together.
0: Especially in the contemporary, excuse me, in the contemporary era, because you
1: know a guy like me who takes this, the historical stuff, seriously. I just want to.
0: I just want to temper expectations, and I want to go into the movie and make the judgment for myself. And I'm going to see this with Bryce uh, next Tuesday this coming Tuesday in IMAX, which I would encourage everyone listening and even everyone not listening to see this in IMAX. I saw Dune Part One in IMAX. It was one of the most memorable IMAX experiences that I've ever had. And I rewatched Dune Part One this week. And it was, I hadn't seen it since the theatrical run in 2021. And it was spectacular. It was a spectacular, spectacularly rewarding rewatch. And Denny Villeneuve, one of my favorite directors ever, the man just doesn't miss. I mean, he, he, he doesn't miss, especially if you look, going back to 2013, which was the year of his first major North American release, uh, Enemy. He makes Enemy and Prisoners in the same year. Then he makes Sicario. Then he makes uh, one of the best science fiction movies of all time in Arrival. Then he makes Blade Runner 2049, which should have been nominated for Best Picture at the 2017 Oscars, and it wasn't. And then you have Dune Part 1 and Dune Part 2, Dune Messiah coming uh, you know, in the future, hasn't had a release date announced, but I mean, you have
1: some of the best movies of the 21st century, let alone the last decade from a singular director.
0: And the first thing I'm going to do after I see Dune part two is go back to his earlier filmography, specifically Maelstrom, Polytechnique
1: and Incendies. Watch those where he both directed and wrote them and just see
0: where it all started. You know, that's always a cool thing to do when you're getting into a specific director's filmography. Uh, I did it with Christopher Nolan a couple of years ago. I watched his debut uh, called following. And then after that, of course, Memento, which is one of my favorite movies of all time. It's in the national film registry. And then you have, Insomnia, which I believe today or in the past week, he called his most underappreciated film or something like that, which you know you tend to agree with when you're looking at his filmography. But Denny Villeneuve, in particular, I remember the first film I ever saw of his, and it was Blade Runner 2049 in the theater.
1: I'll never forget it. Blade Runner, it's an impossible task. A near-impossible task, and it takes a special
0: filmmaker and a special crew and cast to make it happen.
1: Blade Runner, of course, one of the most beloved, um, legendary, trailblazing,
0: whatever adjective you want to use, sci-fi films of all time. And one of the greatest films of all time. So then he takes on this task of basically carrying on the story, making it into a franchise, while also honoring the classic that came before it and laying the path for the future if Warner Brothers or he himself decided to pick up the pieces and keep going. Blade Runner 2049, one of the most visually beautiful movies
1: you'll ever see. Awesome performance by Ryan Gosling. Awesome performance by Harrison Ford. It's an unbelievable score, unbelievably shot
0: by Roger Deakins. I believe this was his first Oscar win was for
1: Blade Runner 2049.
0: Arguably the best cinematographer of all time. So of course him and Denny Villeneuve make a perfect team. But rewatching Dune Part 1, it's just world building I said this in my review on Letterbox. It's just world building the likes of which we don't get to see, especially if you're my age. You know, I'm I'm 26, almost 27. We haven't seen world building, specifically in the science fiction film genre, at this level, maybe ever. Right, because the major science fiction uh, film series that we've seen, you know, Star Wars, Star Trek. Um. Franchises like that, they are the groundwork had already been laid. With Dune, he only had one feature film released. Uh, it was back in nineteen eighty four. I guarantee most of my age group hasn't seen it. I haven't even seen it. It's in my collection. I haven't seen it, although I want to. And I'll be watching an afternoon part two. But this is world building you haven't seen. I mean Gareth Edwards. Uh, you know, actively tried last year with the creator. I thought he hit on some levels, he missed on some levels, but overall I give the movie a 4 out of 5 on Letterboxd. I thought it was a good. But it doesn't compare to Dune Part 1. And the way the reviews are going doesn't compare to Dune Part 2. You know, Dune Part 2 is being called not only one of the best sequels of all time, one of the best sci-fi movies of all time, it's being called one of the best films of all time. And it's starting in the last week or so. My anticipation for it has grown.
1: I think my anticipation for it had been checkered after the delay last
0: year because it was supposed to come out last year in October, November, can't remember when that was supposed to happen, but it was delayed due to the strike. And now I'm wondering,
1: like, and, you know, I'll probably wonder it more maybe on Twitter after I see it, but I'm
0: wondering now, like, if it had come out last year when it was supposed to, would we be talking about this Oscar ceremony on March 10th as Oppenheimer versus Dune Part 2 uh, for all the marbles. Because that's what these preliminary reviews are making it sound like, but you know, just shifting back to Denny Villeneuve real quick before I get into my picks for the Oscars. Like, I already think he's one of, if not the best working director right now. Uh, he's certainly in his prime. He's treating this Dune franchise as his baby, pretty much. And the guy just doesn't miss. And his movies, they have a specific, you know... When you're talking about the great directors of all all time, like Spielberg, Hitchcock, Kubrick, Tarantino,
1: um, Scorsese, they just have a particular feel to them. Nolan and his films
0: have that feel to them. They have that specific feel where you are in you are in the midst of experiencing that film and you have that feeling where you're like, this is a Villeneuve movie and I am all in. And I think I first experienced that with him specifically during Sicario. uh, Definitely during Blade Runner 2049 and definitely during Prisoners after the fact. And then rewatching Dune part one this week. I can't wait to see how this franchise ends up. And he, you know, sometimes with these stat casts, people can mishandle, you know, good directors even can mishandle them. David O. Russell, prime example, you know,
1: he's got, he has four of the hottest names. I would say, you can even make the case, the
0: four hottest names in Hollywood right now working in this movie. Austin Butler, Timothy Chalamet, Florence Pugh and Zendaya. Those four, specifically in that age bracket for Hollywood actors, like if you're having a draft for that generation of actors and actresses, those four people, I mean, my god, you I mean fuck, you might those might be the top 4 picks and he is managing them at a level that seems to be expert which You wouldn't expect anything less from this guy. I can't wait to see Dune Part 2. I would be shocked. I'm looking at the upcoming movie slate, especially for the rest of the year in 2024. It would be shocking if Dune Part 2 wasn't the leader in the clubhouse to win Best Actor at the 2025 Oscars. Uh, And, you know, after I see it with Bryce next week, I might come out of the theater saying, if that doesn't win the Best Picture... I'm done. So we'll, we'll see what happens. Uh, but you still want to temper expectations because you got to be careful when you're comparing it to movies like that. The great, some of the goat movies that we have had, let alone best sequels, best movies we've ever had. So you got to be careful. Read the reviews if you want, but. Dune Part 2 comes out tomorrow. Can't wait for it. All right. so the categories, the Oscar categories I'm going to cover tonight. Obviously the big ones. Best Picture, Best Director, Best Actor, Best Actress, Best Supporting Actor, Best Supporting Actress, Original Screenplay, Adapted Screenplay, Animated Feature, Original Score, Production Design, and Cinematography. So, not all the categories, but the ones that I personally care about. Uh, you know, if you have other ones that you wanted me to cover, certainly reply to us on Twitter uh, or TikTok. And I can cover them, uh, you know, in the future if you want. But these ones here, these are the ones that I tune in for. Uh, I think they're the ones that most people tune in for. And I'm going to do this a different way this year. I'm going to do my best picture. Our rankings and these are based on my personal rankings of the 10 nominees for best picture okay so what and a full disclaimer i have not seen poor things or the zone of interest yet i'm planning to do that this weekend probably sunday uh they just became available on streaming uh poor things will become available on streaming right before the oscars i think it was march 8th or something next friday um a week from tomorrow I think Poor Things is available on on Hulu, I think. But I will be watching those illegally or otherwise um, probably this weekend. And then I will have seen all 10. But as of now, this moment on this TNT Thursday night, I've seen 8 out of 10. And my number 8 in the rankings, the Best Picture Power rankings, is Maestro. I liked my show. A lot of people said it was boring. Um, I don't agree with that. I although I do think it can drag at times, like some biopics typically do. But I thought it was a well-crafted film. It had great acting, uh, starting with Bradley Cooper, down to Kerry Mulligan,
1: both of whom were uh, uh, nominated for the acting categories. And I just thought. One of the most gripping scenes of the year
0: where Leonard Bernstein played by Bradley Cooper, obviously, conducting in the church. That was one of the most gripping scenes of the year. And I put that in my review on Letterboxd if you read it. Hopefully this is not Bradley Cooper's magnum opus. You know, me and Caleb uh, talked about it last week on the Oscars betting
1: pod, which go listen to that. If you have not available on the running hook. Shameless plug. I, how do I put this? I mean, you don't really, when you're talking about somebody's magnum opus, you know, I'll I'll talk
0: about this, you know, spoiler a little bit for later, but Oppenheimer's arguably Christopher Nolan's magnum opus. And I hope this is not Bradley Cooper's magnum opus. This is only his second directorial outing after A Star Is Born, which came out in 2018. Very good film, in my opinion. And he's taken a lot of inspiration from people like Clint Eastwood, people like Martin Scorsese, which is great. I mean, those are great guys to take inspiration from. But if this was Bradley Cooper's magnum opus, quite frankly, I'd be disappointed, even though it was a good movie. Uh, a good movie that's that's how I would put it. This was a good movie. should be nominated for Best Picture, especially since we are nominating up to ten now, but has
1: no business winning. I wouldn't be shocked if it went home with nothing on March tenth, but good movie nonetheless. And a good get for Netflix. <laughs> Number seven, I have a movie that I really like and held up so well on the second viewing. It's Barbie. Barbie,
0: um, you know, I, I did the double feature that day with Cooper, my good friend Cooper Ogle. I did Barbie and Oppenheimer back to back in the theater, and it held up so well on a second viewing. Me and the lovely Abigail watched it together in the living room here. Beautiful
1: 4K film. You know, if you're if you're gonna watch this on the video, you know back here, Barbie's in there. It's over here somewhere. It's right there. I think it's right there. Yeah, it's right there, Barbie. I mean, we
0: know the maligning of Greta Gerwig and Margot Robbie, which I don't agree with. I thought. I thought Margot Robbie was a shoe in to be nominated for Best Actress, and somehow she wasn't. I'm still trying to wrap my head around why she wasn't. I would kick out Annette Bening in a second. I don't really know why Annette Bening is here. I don't know a soul who has seen Nyad. No offense to that movie. No offense to Annette Benning. Great career. I'm sure Nyad is a decent film. But I mean, fuck, dude. Like... Everyone in the world saw Barbie. Nobody has seen Nyad. And Nyad is not going to be one where people are clamoring, uh, you know, after the Oscars, be like, man, I got to watch Nyad. Chew with Nyad's in the Oscars. Nyad's not going to win shit. Annette Benning shouldn't be here. This is a legacy nomination if I've ever seen one. It's one of the things that pisses me off the most about the Oscars. Fucking Margot Robbie should be here. Not to mention
1: fucking hot. But you don't need me to tell you that. So I got Barbie number seven. Number six. I got American Fiction.
0: I, I saw, I believe this is the last movie I actually saw in the theater over at my AMC, my local AMC. A rich mix of comedy and satire. But you get some great family drama as well. Um, An outstanding directorial debut. Record Jefferson, outstanding. I mean, th- this had some laugh out loud moments, specifically the first five minutes of the movie. Uh, there's a scene where I just couldn't help it. I, I was, <laughs> I was laughing in my seat. But Jeffrey Wright deserves some more respect in the best actor category. We were looking at his odds last week for that pod with me and Caleb. Fucking joke. I mean, he's like plus sixty five hundred. I, I, he has no business. Being that low. I thought it was the third best performance from a leading actor in that category. And I would have him third behind Murphy and Giamatti. I, I don't really understand why his odds were that long. I don't agree with him. So, American fiction number six. Number five, I have Anatomy of a Fall. Now, Anatomy of a Fall was a beautiful mix of acting and writing. The two just kind of seamlessly worked together. And My only complaint about it was it was a bit too long. A bit too long. It ran at I think it was like 2 hours 40 minutes. Something like that. It didn't have to be. It didn't have to be. Uh, But great courtroom movie if you like those. That's a genre that you can get into.
1: Uh, And I would start with this. Really great murder mystery as well. (laughs) Number four I got Past Lives.
0: Past Lives um, really enjoyed this and it didn't get enough nominations. Only at two nominations. Outstanding directorial be- debut for Celine Song. I tried to find a way to fit her in to the best director category, I just couldn't. I just couldn't do it. Granted, I haven't seen The Zone of Interest or Poor Things, so I can't really say I would kick out Lanthimos or Glazer, but. I also
1: wouldn't put her over Nolan Scorsese or Triette. Maybe Triette, but bottom line, I thought Past Life should have got
0: more love than two nominations. I thought that was a fucking joke. <laughs> Number three, I got Killers of the Flower Moon. Uh, you know, me and Bryce did a pod on this. I don't really have much left to say on it other than Martin Scorsese is the GOAT director. <laughs> Number two, I got The Holdovers. I know I mentioned this a little bit, On previous pod, forget which one. Please watch this. Please. I've watched it twice. I watched it on uh, Peacock. You can stream it on Peacock right now, I believe. Paul Giamatti, you know, I don't think he's going to win the Oscar, but if he did, I wouldn't have any qualms. If Killian Murphy was going to lose to somebody, at least it would be to somebody like Paul Giamatti, who absolutely deserved it. And it would not be a career achievement thing, Some bullshit like that for Paul Giamatti. It would be well-deserved. Some of the funniest line readings I've ever heard and also some of the saddest moments that I've ever experienced in a movie theater all came in this movie, The Holdovers. Please watch it if you haven't. I gave it five out of five on Letterboxd twice. Number one is Oppenheimer, of course. Um, The Year of Nolan concludes on March 10th. Uh, like I said earlier, this is arguably Lee's magnum opus. And, uh, you know, I have a list on Letterboxd right now, of the the Nolan rankings, ranking his entire filmography. And I think I had this fourth. And I didn't feel good about it. And that's a list that's very complicated to make because, you know, I've been following Nolan closely really since The Dark Knight came out. when I, I think I was 11 when that came out. So I've been following him ever since. I think the first Nolan movie I saw in the theater was Inception, which came out two years later in, in 2010. And we've covered that on this pod as well. Me and Bryce, uh, that was his favorite movie, so we covered that favorite movie series
1: pods. Go back and listen to that, that was a banger. But when you're talking about ranking Nolan's filmography,
0: if you wanted to put this first, I mean, after seeing it, I've seen it twice in the theater. I haven't seen it since. I have the 4K copy in my collection. Dying to watch it again. I just don't think I'm going to be able to fit it in before March 10th when the Oscars air. But this is
1: craft of filmmaking that we cannot take for granted. Christopher Nolan is operating on levels that previously unseen. And it's not shocking that he was able to put out a movie of this quality. But on some level it is because this is a guy who revitalized the superhero genre specifically for the character
0: of Batman, who needed it badly uh, when Batman Begins came out in
1: 2005. He, Is a beacon for original storytelling. Yes, his movies can
0: be complicated sometimes, but you always remember the experience of watching one of his movies. And Oppenheimer was no different. I think the stakes were a little different
1: uh, with it being a true story and all. But with the acting, the writing, the effects, the score, the
0: editing, cinematography, everything in this movie was operating on a level that was 10 out of 10. And it perhaps initiated the physical media renaissance. I mean, you can't buy this movie in store. I mean, it's probably hard to find online too. I was lucky to get a copy when I went to Best Buy to pick up the 4K for it. Um, I There were only three left on the shelf at Best Buy. So I was lucky to get it but this has to be the number one. This has to win, basically. I'm in a spot now where this has to win. And if it doesn't win, I'm shutting off the TV and I'm fucking off to bed. Because what's the point? What's the point? I mean, you you have a movie here. Let me look up how much it grossed, but you have a movie here about the guy who invented the atomic bomb. All due respect, $960 million on a $100 million budget. Okay? What other director in the world,
1: and you can argue ever, is making a movie about J. Robert Oppenheimer that makes almost a billion dollars? Probably nobody. Probably nobody. And... That is an achievement in itself, and I just think that it has to win. It has to win. So
0: that's my best picture power rankings. My best picture selection is Oppenheimer. My best director selection is Christopher Nolan. Uh, That brings me into that category. So Christopher Nolan, like I said, everything I just said about Oppenheimer applies to him. Caleb asked a great question on the Oscars betting pod last week. Like, how come the best director and best picture just don't go hand in hand? Short answer, I don't know. I really don't know. Uh, You have an example, like back in the 2016 year. So it was the 17 ceremony. Where Moonlight won best picture, but Damien Chazelle won best director for La La Land.
1: I can't explain it. I don't know. Yeah, I'm not a voter. I wish I was, but I'm not. I, I, I don't know what goes on in those rooms, but I
0: think Christopher Nolan should win it. I think he should win it. Uh, I think this is a stat category this year. You have two of the all-time directors with Nolan and Scorsese. You have a relative newcomer with Justine Triette. Lanthimos who I believe has been here before, and Glazer who has been around for a while. Uh, But I'm I'm going with Nolan. I I think this is the year he wins it. He should have won it for Dunkirk. He wasn't even nominated for The Dark Knight. He wasn't even nominated for Inception, I don't think. So, you know, I, I think he gets it here. Best actor, I'm going Killian Murphy. I thought in totality, he gave the best performance of the year. Like I said, with Paul Giamatti, if he wins it over Murphy, I'm not pissed off at all. Um, I think the odds should be closer than they are. I think it's, I think by sometime next week, you might see it's neck and neck, but I think in totality, in their respective movies, Murphy gave the best performance top to bottom. I think Giamatti had some of the best line ratings I've ever heard uh, and a really heartwarming, sad performance at the same time but gone to my head, I'm picking
1: Killian Murphy. Best actress, I'm going with Lily Gladstone, and there's a very simple reason why. She was the heart and soul of that movie. And we don't see Leo play
0: full-blown Leo, who should absolutely be in the best actor category, and isn't, which is a fucking comical error on the Academy's part. But I don't have time for that tonight. Best actress, Lily Gladstone. She's the heart and soul of Killers of the Flower Moon. movie simply could not have been made if anyone else was in this role. We talked about her extensively last week on the betting pod. Slam that. Slam that. The Academy hates, not to rehash that pod, but the Academy hates, Academy tends, not hates, but they tend to be hesitant putting people in a historic group. And Emma Stone would be put in a historic group if she won Best Actress for Poor Things. She would be the 15th actress ever to have two or more Best Actress wins. Lily Gladstone, I think, you know, like I said with the disclaimer at the beginning, I haven't seen Poor Things. So I might watch Poor Things over the weekend and be like, well, fuck, Emma Stone should win. But at this point in time, I'm going with Lily Gladstone. I just think she's vital to that movie. And I think she deserves it. Best supporting actor I'm going with Robert Downey Jr. from Oppenheimer. Um hard to envision anyone else in that role. With all of the great actors and actresses in that movie, I thought he put forth the second best performance. He kind of bridged the gap between past and present in that movie. So he had to be on his A game, and I thought he was. <laughs> I believe this is his first nomination since Tropic Thunder. And before that, it was Chaplin. And this would be a nice, I don't want to say capstone, because I think he has some stuff left in the tank, but this would be a beautiful arc for him with how his career has gone. Uh, Especially, you know, promising beginnings, rocky stuff that happened after that was the face of arguably the biggest franchise in movie history and now is doing the artsy stuff with the big time directors of this generation. If not of all time, I think it would be a beautiful moment if he were to win this award. And I, he's my pick for it, I thought he gave the best performance of anyone in this category. After that, I would probably go with Gosling, then De Niro. Then Sterling K. Brown. Can't speak on Mark Ruffalo because I haven't seen four things. Uh, but shifting to Best Supporting Actress, don't have much to say here. It's, it's Divine Joy Randolph. <laughs> if you've seen The Holdovers, you know why she should win. movie doesn't really work without her. She's kind of the buffer between Sessa and Giamatti's characters, <laughs> respectively. They needed her to pull this movie off and she was on her egg again and if you look at the rest of this category I mean Jodie Foster that's a legacy nomination America Ferreira probably shouldn't even be in this category Emily Blunt in my opinion didn't really have enough screen time to be on here I don't hate that she's on here but didn't really think she had a lot of screen time and then Danielle Brooks for the color purple I'm not talking about the color purple in this pod um, the original is great I'm not talking about a bullshit remakes Best original screenplay. one with the holdovers. Uh, Alexander Payne is just. One of the great original screenwriters. Right. Uh, or he didn't write this, but in general, he tends to tell original stories. David Hemmingson is. The screenwriter for this. If you've seen the movie, I think you might agree with me. Past Lives, I would actually have second. In this category. If Past Lives won. I have no issue with it, especially since it only has two nominations. Uh, Best Adapted Screenplay. I'm going with Oppenheimer. I'm
1: going with Oppenheimer. um, Based on American Prometheus, the book. Technically, biography. Complicated story. And there's a reason it took three hours. I've held the book in my
0: hand. Fuck no, I haven't read it, but I've held the book in my hand and flipped through it. Long book. Long
1: book long book and it takes you know Christopher Nolan that's the thing he does he he writes and
0: directs his movies and I think he should get I think
1: this should be the second Oscar he holds if not three at the end of the night for him and then I'll run through these
0: best animated feature this is a tight one This is a tight race, and it's going to be one of two movies. It's either going to be Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, or it's going to be The Boy and the Heron. haven't seen The Boy and the Heron yet. I hate to say that. Really want to see it. Really want to see it. Really want to get into Miyazaki in general. Just haven't had the chance to. They're all on HBO, thankfully. But I'm going with Across the Spider-Verse. My jaw doesn't drop a lot in movie theaters, and it did at the end of this movie. I just could not believe they ended it that way. I still can't. I can't wait to watch it again. I've only seen it uh, the one time in the theater. I have it on 4K. 4K Steelbook. Shout out Best Buy. I don't know why you're getting rid of physical media, but whatever. But I'm going with Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse here. Uh, But everything I've heard about The Boy and the Heron, if that wins, no hate. But I'm going with Across the Spider-Verse. Best Original Score. Oppenheimer. Uh, Ludwig Gornson seems to be uh, a mainstay Nolan collaborator now, especially that Hans Zimmer is busy with the Dune movies and has scored the last few Villeneuve movies. That's turning into a budding partnership that I love, uh, that most people love. Best production design, I'm going with Barbie. Barbie has to go home with something or the internet will break. And I actually think it deserves this. Um Best production design for those who aren't familiar. Basically the best sets. The best set design. And the 4K rewatch of Barbie really reaffirmed this for me. That it should win this category. Uh, Whether it's in Barbie land or it's in the real world. I'm going with Barbie here. (laughs) And then best cinematography to wrap up tonight. I'm going with Oppenheimer as well. You know they had to they had to revolutionize IMAX format for this movie. So if that's not enough to win Best Cinematography at the Oscars, I don't know what the fuck is. So that's how we're wrapping up tonight. Uh, Those are my Oscars picks. I will have these will be tweeted out the Running Hook uh, Twitter accounts. I'll send these to Alex so he can do that, and then. Yeah, listen to this pod before March 10th. Um, Oscars at an earlier time this year, thank God. They're at 7 o'clock. Uh, again, hosted by Jimmy Kimmel. No issues with that, really. And I can't wait. I, I can't wait. Um, this is going to be a great show. Hopefully, everything goes according to plan. And Nolan uh, brings it home. But check out what else we got on the network we got back shoulder fade with me and caleb breaking down nba and mlb futures uh yesterday then we got um bryce and caleb on linsanity talking about college basketball ramping up for march madness talked about the acc this week then we got alex on the power hour breaking down everything nba for you anything you want to know about basketball alex has it so uh folks thank you very much listening.